your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 this morning. We are in a study of the book of Luke called The Doctor's Cure. <clears throat> We're today in verses 16, 17, and 18. And as I indicated last week, this is really a continuation of uh, the passage that we looked at last Sunday. In fact, if you take these three verses alone and don't put them in context, they really don't make much sense. It seems They seem like random sayings of Jesus. And so we'll try to give a little bit of that background. The question of the message is, are you, are you listening to God? Are you listening to God? Don't worry about the, whether the person next to you is, but are you listening to God? The story is told about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I haven't been able to ascertain whether it's true or not. But he used to be frustrated that he would talk to people uh, in receiving lines especially, and they didn't seem to be paying any attention uh, to really what he was saying. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it is when you're in front of a celebrity. People are kind of in awe of being in their presence. And, and so you're just thinking about, wow, I can't believe I'm shaking hands with the President of the United States. And, and uh, so Roosevelt decided he would experiment one day uh, and see if his theory is true. People don't really listen to what he says. And so there was a receiving line there, and he was shaking hands with everybody, and they're going down the line. And he decided he's going to say this to everybody who comes through the line. I murdered my grandmother this morning. And so he shook his hand, he shook hands of the first person. He said, I mur murdered my grandmother this morning. And they said, oh, wonderful. That's just marvelous, Mr. President. Keep up the good work. Next person moved down the line, and he said the same thing again. And again, there was some sort of accolade. Uh, we're just we're praying for you. Uh, Mr. President, doing a great job. Nobody responded to what he said until it got to the Bolivian ambassador. He said the same thing. I murdered my grandmother this morning and there was a hesitation and then the ambassador leaned over and whispered in his ear, uh, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. <laughs> oh, boy. And... and <laughs> We, we all struggle with listening, right? Especially those of us who are male and married. Our wives say, you, didn't, you don't listen to me. And that's probably mostly true because usually when she, she talks to us, we're doing something else. And guys can handle how many things at a time? One. All the women said one. <laughs> and we know there are breakdowns when we don't communicate well in marriage. We know there are breakdowns when we don't communicate well on the job. That causes problems there and so forth. But the repercussions of not listening to God are enormous and eternal. So I want us to read these verses again with God's heart for us in mind. What God had to say to us this morning about how we listen to God, do we listen to God, how well we listen to God, what's our response to God when he does speak to us. Luke chapter 8, beginning of verse 16. Now remember, this, this comes on the heels of the parable of the soil and the different kinds of hearts that we have when the seed of God's word is planted in them. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Now, just worthy of noting here that this is a proverb that was apparently common in Jesus' day. He didn't always use it the same way. He's used it other times for other contexts to make other points. I'll explain in a minute what I think he's speaking about here. Verse 17, 
For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. That's the key line. Pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, but for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Father, I pray for the word of God this morning and for hopefully the messenger of God and for the hearers of God's word that um, all of us might hear from the Holy Spirit through the word of God that which is meant to bear on our own hearts. It might be, not be such that it's going to affect something we thought about yesterday or need tomorrow, but as part of this ongoing cumulative impact of the seed of the word of God in the heart that is receptive, where there's, where there's water there, where, where there's dark, rich soil, so that the seed might be implanted and grow and bear good fruit. Uh, we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit and against the work of the enemy who hates you, who hates us, who hates your word, who hates the advance of your kingdom. We pray that you would muzzle him this morning, that he would have um, no ability to distract us, to divert us, to tempt us, to test us. And that rather you might be glorified and exalted, the gospel of Christ might be uh, treasured and savored. And that believing that it is needful to be treasured and savored, that we might be good hearers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to speak this morning about listening to and heeding the word of God preached. Now, I want to say right up front, if you don't know me, I am a flawed messenger, but I have a flawless message. I am a mortal communicator of an immortal message. And so the things I want to talk about this morning could be construed as Keith tooting his own horn. I hope that's not the case. I hope that you hear me tooting the horn of God through the importance of the word of God, especially as it is preached. Now, the first one of chapter 8 tells us that Jesus was on a preaching tour here. And as I said last week, this is a kind of a new phase in Jesus' ministry. It's a much more public phase. It's a, a more of a touring phase. He's getting around to more and more areas of the, of the country. But it says in verse 1 that he began to tour the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. Now, the people that had come to hear Jesus in this setting had a variety of of uh, interests and a variety of motives. There were some people perhaps had come to hear him for the first time. He had, he, he had developed a pretty significant reputation by now as a, as a religious uh, rabbi. And maybe some folks just came to hear him preach for the first time, didn't really know what he was all about. Some had probably heard that um, he was someone who was interested in the little guy. Unlike a lot of the rabbis and religious leaders who were who were in tight with the prominent people, the prestigious people, the well-to-do people. This was a guy who seemed to care more about the poor and the marginalized. And so maybe they just came to hear him um, lift up and exalt the little guy. Maybe they were sick and diseased and they came to hear or to see Jesus heal them. 
They're willing to put up with the preaching until he gets to that as long as they heal him. But they really weren't there for him to preach to him, to them. Maybe they simply came to hear, see, observe, and witness some kind of miracle. Or maybe they came to the preaching and they're sitting there taking diligent notes like some of you do, but it's not because they're really all that interested in who he is, but they want to, they're trying to scrutinize whether or not he's the real deal or some new cult leader because maybe there's some family member or friend who's gotten tied up with him. Now we said last week that, that Jesus began, this is a new phase of his ministry in part because he has a lot of people who've gotten on his bandwagon who aren't necessarily true followers. That they're fans. You know how fickle fans can be. They're in, then they're out. They're in, and then they're out. And so for all of these people who had come to, to see him, to hear him, to observe him, probably did not get what they thought they were going to get. Because Jesus tells them a story, uh, a story which is really about many of them. A, a story which talks about different kinds of Hearts and the receptivity to the word of God of those particular hearts. And he compares them to uh, soils. And a sower goes out and he sows, so, uh, sows seed in different kinds, four different kinds of soils. Now the sower in the, in the story is God. The seed is the word of God and the four kinds of soils represent four kinds of hearts. If you hear it last week or if you've read the story, you know he talks first about the hard heart. The Satan comes and snatches the word away before it can be planted in the ground and begin to bear fruit. Then there's two kinds of soils that appears to, appears that they're receptive to what Jesus has to say. And yet they spring up and quickly die. Spring up, quickly die. The first kind is because there's shallow soil with rock underneath. The second kind is because the soil is full of thorns and the, the uh, thorns crowd out the word of God. And Jesus says in the, first, in the first kind of soil, there is a hard heart that is not receptive at all to what uh, he has to say, what God has to say. Uh, the second two seem initially to be receptive, and yet when the heat of summer comes and the, the rocky soil has the plant trying to drive its roots down deeper to get moisture, it can't because there's rock underneath, and so it shrivels up and dies. And Jesus says that rock in that person's life, and like the temptations and the testings that come along to the supposed new believer, and the temptations and the testings do them in. And then the person who's the seed of God, uh, word of God is planted in their soil and there's a lot of thorns around. They initially spring up, but they're crowded out by the thorns, which Jesus says represent riches, the cares of this, uh, of this life, and the desires for pleasure in life. And, you know, really, those, both of those kinds of things could speak well of our day and age, couldn't they? And then the last kind of soil, Jesus says, this seed uh, drops in the soil and it grows up and it not only survives, but it reproduces. It, 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 it brings a large crop to bear. The text said a huge crop of fruit. A couple other times the parables recorded in the scriptures, it talks about a, a uh, fruit production of 30 or 60 or 100 times what was originally planted. Now we have to keep that in mind as we go to these verses because that's the backdrop. And if you remember, Jesus really blew his disciples away when they wondered why in the world he talks to the people in parables 
and, and doesn't make things seem to make things real clear to them. And Jesus turned to them and he says, I speak to them in parables, but to you I explain what I tell them. And oftentimes, I said last week, oftentimes we look at parables as they're simply sermon illustrations designed to make things clear to people. And yet the text says the exact opposite. And Jesus said, verse 12, no, 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 we, uh, I think it's 10, 11, and 12, talks about uh, a quote from Isaiah 6, 9 that says, I don't want these people to t understand because then they might turn to me. And we're like, wow, it sounds like God's opposed to repentance and, and salvation. The reference to Isaiah 6, 9 is a, is a chapter of judgment in which God looks ahead and says, the day is coming when I'm going to pour out judgment on my people Israel because they have continually, deliberately resisted my word. They have disobeyed me, disobeyed me, disobeyed me, rebelled against me. And now judgment is coming. And now it's too late. And so I'm going to hide things and mask things. And Jesus was doing the very same thing with his hearers on that day. I'm using the parable to hide and to mask because I am going to separate the sheep from the goats. I'm going to filter the serious people from the superficial people that are coming to listen to me. And now he continues that line of thought when he speaks first to the preachers that are going to follow him and then second to the hearers that are going to listen to him and all the preachers that follow him. I want to say first of all that I think there is a mandate to preachers in verses 16 and 17 here. There's a mandate to preachers that's then followed up by a mandate to listeners. A mandate to preachers and then a mandate to listeners. I think what he's saying here in verse 16 when he's talking about a lamp and where to put it in the room. In other words, if you're furnishing a room and decorating a room, you don't put a lamp behind a piece of furniture, right? You want its glow to be able to reach out. You don't put it in a corner where portion of its, its glow will be boxed off by the corners of the room. You want to put it out in the middle where its glow goes all around and everybody in that room can see because of the light. What Jesus is talking about here is the preaching of the word of God. And he's speaking to the men who are going to come after him and take his place after he goes back to heaven. The men like Peter, James, and John who are going to fan out into North Africa, into the Middle East, into Europe, into the Roman province of Asia. And they're going to be responsible to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died and rose again to save sinners like me. And they're going to take that to all manner of people groups. And Jesus is telling them, now, now remember what he told them in, earlier about this crowd that is before him. And by the way, the crowd is still there according to verse 18. He's going to come back to them in a minute. But he's talking to the disciples, men who heard him say that he speaks to the people in front of him in parables so that they won't understand. But he's going to speak to them in clarity so they will understand. And they're probably thinking, well, that means if we preach, we should be oblique as well. We should be hidden, have things hidden as well. And Jesus says, no, when you go out to preach, I want you in the center of the room. I want you to let go with the word of God. Preach. And the people that God calls to preach have a compulsion on their lives that must be pro produced in preaching. You know, uh, Peter and John, guys that are listening to this, after Jesus went back to heaven, the early pages of Acts, Acts chapter 4, they get arrested. 
Why? Preaching the gospel. And they brought them out the next day and they said, we're going to let you go if you agree to stop preaching the gospel. To which Peter and John reply, verse 19 I think it is, well, we can't do that. I mean, do you think, and it was the religious leaders that arrested him, do you think that we should listen to you or should we listen to God? And then they go on to say, we, we can't not preach. It's not possible for us not to speak about the things that we have seen and heard. That's upon us as preachers of the word of God. We can't not preach. Paul said the same thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. He says, woe to me if I do not preach. And again, the core thing that Jesus is talking about here is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the gospel implications that flow out from the work of Christ and the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. That means uh, uh, gospel living. That means gospel marriages. That means gospel parenting. That means uh, gospel morality. That means gospel ministry. Can't not preach. And so Jesus is confirming to these men who are going to follow in his footsteps, you just preach and don't worry about the response. Now that might sound counter-biblical, counter-productive. And yet what was Jesus doing when he told the parable? not worrying about the response to the particular message. He's more worried about the ultimate objective of seeing people serve and follow him. And right now he's sifting and he's filtering. I think verse 17 is all about Jesus' point of minimizing concern about the response. I used to think when I read this verse that Jesus was talking about the secrets that you and I have. And that one day they're all going to be laid out and laid bare for everybody to see. Let me read the verse again. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. But what Jesus is talking about here, remember he's talking last week, he's talking about how he's, he's kind of minimizing clarity for the people that are listening. He's talking about the, um, the clarity that will be brought to bear in the final day. Meaning that everybody in the final day will understand and grasp the things about God that have been preached down through the ages, but which many of them resisted and didn't understand. And that in the final day, the secrets of God will be revealed and exposed even to people who are standing on the rim of hell. So preacher, he's saying, preacher, don't you worry about response. That's ultimately God's business. Now the Bible tells us that there are going to be a variety of responses to the preaching of the word of God. Let me take you to uh, Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus actually used this same saying and was admonishing his, the, the preaching preachers about not being deterred by persecution and so forth. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, beginning verse 26. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes, what I whisper in your ear, Jesus says, shout from the housetops for all to hear. 
In other words, you're going to get pushback as you preach the word of God. You're going to get people resistant to what you have to say. You're going to have people actually threaten you because of what you're preaching and oppose you and maybe throw you in prison and maybe even kill you. You know, that's not your concern. That's not your worry. Your worry is to preach the word of God, be in the center of the room and let the light of the word of God go forth. And secondly, don't let people wanting shallow or acceptable preaching deter you. I want you to turn to a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second, I'm sorry, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul writes this to his protege Timothy who's a pastor at Ephesus. And it's a, it's a prophecy. Uh, it's a prophecy for 2017 America. It was probably a prophecy for many earlier times, but you cannot read this and not think 2017 America. Chapter 4, beginning of verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. What a depiction of our times. It might be a depiction of you. Pastor, I wish you would, I wish you would preach a, a message that was more encouraging. Pastor, I wish you wouldn't touch on that particular subject. Pastor, I wish you would uh, do this kind of series instead of that kind of series. Now, I, I have to commend you as a church. I don't get much of that at all. I don't get much of anything. But I'll tell you the truth. Um, when I have somebody say to me, that was a great message, Pastor. Um, that does pretty much nothing for me because I'm not up here to win your applause. I'm up here to speak on behalf of God. So I'd much ra rather to hear you say, that was a good message, Pastor. God spoke to me in this way and I'm going to ponder this because of that or I'm going to do this because of that. I'm going to... Uh, begin praying about this because of that. Let me ask you, when you come to church on a Sunday morning or when, wherever you're going or whenever you're going to hear a speaker, do you have the thought that Christ has something for you there that morning? Or do you kind of go thinking, it's my hour and a quarter to put in each week. And I hope he has some funny stories today. Or I hope it's interesting enough for me to stay awake. Do you think when you come on a Sunday morning, before you arrive here, when you get up in the morning, do you have a sense of anticipation, Christ has something for me this morning? Because you should. That's hopefully 
the work that he has been doing in me or wherever your home church is, your pastor, that week through prayer and through preparation, not just digging things out of commentaries to pass along, but that he is being shaped and prepared so that he might serve up a Christ-centered, Christ-serving, Christ-loving meal. Do you have that sense? I have, I have to confess that I think as the years continue to break over us, that we're going to see our churches getting emptier and emptier. And why wouldn't we? You and I are being shaped by things, we're being shaped to think that things of value are the things that entertain us the most. You don't believe me? How many of you have smartphones with you right now? Would you put up your hands? Look at that. I can guarantee you there's nothing I can say up here, nothing I can do up here, no matter how many videos I put up, no matter how objective, object lessons I do, that is going to be half as entertaining to you as anything you can find on YouTube. It's just not going to happen. But if you come on a Sunday morning expecting a message from Christ, I mean, think about it. The one who made you, isn't that what John 1 says? Without him, nothing was, was made that was made. The one who made you. And then the one who came and redeemed you and bought you back by the shedding of his own blood on the cross. That is far more significant and has far greater consequence than any video of a jaguar killing a llama. I mean... might not be as entertaining, but far more significant. And so I, I, I want you to hear what I hear when I read the scripture as a preacher. My mandate. And by the way, I think that there is an aspect or at least an application of that mandate for all of you who know Christ. Jesus is here speaking to the preachers who are going to come after him and, and fill his shoes and then the preachers are going to come after him and them and them and so forth. But there's a, a general principle here that applies to all believers. And that is that you, <laughs> you may never stand on a platform like this, you may never address dozens or hundreds of people. But you are going to address people with the same kinds of content that I'm addressing you with. And so Jesus would say to you, Christian, preach. Stand in the middle of the room and preach. Those that you get an opportunity to talk to about Jesus and about the implications of that gospel that he's brought. Say it. Say it with confidence. Say it with, I can't not speak on behalf of Christ. Say it with confidence that the, that the work of Christ in you means that the word of Christ is empowered by the Spirit through you. Don't shy away from it. 
Don't even worry about the response that people have to it. Not your business to save. Our business is to proclaim, period. God will do the saving. God will do the calling of people to repentance. And so I would say to all of us Christians, tell others the gospel and the commands that emerge from the gospel. All right, let's look at verse 18, which is the mandate to listeners. So pay attention to how you hear. He's calling, he's calling you to, to listen. Pay attention to how you hear. Now, the Bible tells us that preachers like me are going to be held accountable for what we do with the calling that God's laid on our lives. James 3.1 is a verse that haunts every preacher. It says that not many of us should become teachers because we who teach, for our purposes this morning, teaching and preaching, same thing. There's nuance of difference, but... Because those of us who teach will be held to a stricter accounting, it says, stricter judgment. That haunts me. That means if I am not faithful in my preparation, faithful in my delivery, faithful in my praying, God's going to point that out to me one day. But make no mistake about it, he's also going to hold you accountable as a listener. Pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Now, I have a little booklet out there in the lobby that uh, encourages you to pick up one per family. It's called Listen Up, a practical guide to listening to sermons. Some of you are going like, oh, brother, that sounds interesting. A practical guide to listening to sermons. But just think with me for a minute. How many of you came in here this morning prepared to hear the word of God? And if you say, I did, do you mean by that you knew it was going to happen? Or do you mean by that that you actually did some things this week in preparation for this time? Like praying for the preacher. Like praying for yourself and what God might have for you this morning. Did you get to bed at a decent time last night so that you're well rested to be here this morning? Did you get up and maybe with your family pray for a couple minutes and say, God, uh, we know this morning that the enemy is going to hate the word of Christ being preached and we pray against the enemy. We pray that our minds might be corralled and and that we would be attentive to hear what you have to say uh, to us. Did you do anything this week to prepare for this encounter with Christ? Even think about the times, and you are here this morning, so I'm obviously speaking to other people. But the times that other people don't come and miss the preaching of the word. They're at the mountains, they're at the beach, they're on vacation, they're this, that, that. Would you believe if I told you that if you're a member here at Keystone, on average, you're here only 56% of the time in a given year's time. That means almost half the time you're gone. So now I have a question for you. The times that you're gone, do you seek out a place to hear the preaching of the word of Christ? Or you just hang out the cabin? 
What I'm getting at is if this is a significant thing that God has ordained for us, a means by which we are transformed and conformed more and more to the image of Christ, what effort have we put in that shows that? And this booklet is going to talk about some of those kinds of things. Are you positioning yourself to be regularly under the teaching of the word? And I understand today we have, we have all kinds of podcasts out there and so forth. And I take advantage of that sort of thing as well. But the Bible seems to indicate that part of what, we're, what God desires for us is that we get together with the body of Christ to mutually hear the word of Christ and be affected by it together. I hope you'll pick one of these up. It's, it's uh, provocative. It's provocative. Consequences, Jesus talks about consequences both of listening and not listening. And I, this, this applies not just to preaching, we're centering on that this morning, but even to the times that we get alone with God and listen to the word as we, as we read it. Jesus says that for those who listen to his teaching, more understanding will be given to them. And ultimately, eternal salvation because he says those who aren't listening, what they think they understand will be taken away from them. In other words, we should be like the Bereans. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul had gotten run out of Thessalonica. They arrested some of the believers there. They were trying to arrest Paul, but he escaped and went to Berea. And he begins preaching there in their synagogues. And it says this in Acts 17, 11, that the people, as Paul's preaching, they're looking through the word of God to see if what he says is true. Why is that? Because he's a flawed messenger with a flawless message. He's a, a mortal prophet carrying an immortal prophecy. And so they knew they better check up on him. Just like I admonish you, check up on me. I'm going to mess up. And the last thing I want you to do out there is sit in your chairs and I'm messing up. And you're going, amen, brother. Amen, brother. In fact, there's an interesting section in this booklet, uh, chapter, the end, how to listen to bad sermons. You're all going to need that. How to listen to bad sermons. The first category, how to listen to a dull sermon. You'll need that one. How to listen to a biblically inadequate sermon. I hope you don't need that one. And last, how, <laughs> how to listen to a heretical sermon. Ouch. But you need to know how to do that because part of your responsibility is to check up on me. Your responsibility before God is not to simply drink the Kool-Aid and say, yep, Pastor Keith said it, must be right. No, if God says it, must be right. Pastor Keith might have had a rough week. Might have had too many ribs last night at mealtime or something. Make sure, check it out. You're checking me out. Lose, uh, the, the last line is so daunting. And it is a challenge to those whose soils are hard or who spring up initially, but then they're crowded out by the, by the uh, uh, testing or temptation or crowded out by pleasures of this life, cares of this life or riches. He's saying, what little you have, you may well lose. 
Those who are not listening, even what they think they understand, will be taken away from them. That could be when we're not interested in hearing the word of God. It could be when we're not paying attention. Or it could be that we're hearing, but we're doing nothing about it. James chapter, got to hurry here. James chapter 1, verse 21, 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. In other words, it's not enough just to hear the stuff. What are we going to do with it? I want to close reading a passage out of an Old Testament prophetic book, the book of Zechariah. This was written about 550 years before Jesus. And the context, or the, the uh, setting of this, Zechariah chapter 7, setting of this is um, about 50,000 people, Israelites, have come back from Babylon where they were captive. They'd been there a long time. They'd come back. They started rebuilding the temple. It didn't go well. They had resistance pushback and they abandoned that project. But as a people, as a religious people, they were doing a lot of external things. What things that God said for them to do. But underneath that religiosity was the, was the truth of who they were. Basically, they were not responding to the word of God. And this is what he says to them. Beginning... Zechariah chapter 7, beginning verse 8. Then this message came to Zechariah, who was a prophet, from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Don't oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. And do not scheme against each other. Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. They made their hearts as hard as stone so they could not hear the instructions or the messages that the Lord of heaven's armies had sent them by his spirit through the earlier prophets, preachers. That is why the Lord of heaven's armies was so angry with them. In other words, before the trip to Babylon, God was, uh, God was trying to bring them to heal. They refused, they resisted, and God finally said, good, you're done. I'm taking you to Babylon. This was the people he's talking about. Verse 13, since they refused to listen when I called to them, I would not listen when they called to me. Hmm. Do you ever feel like your prayers aren't getting through? Could it be? Listen, God is a God of grace. But if we have a, a, a season where it seems like we're never hearing from God, it might be that we're, what he is saying, we're not listening to. And so when we speak back, he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to put you on ice until you start listening to me. As with the whirlwind, I scattered them among the distant nations where they lived as strangers. Their land became so desolate that no one even traveled through it. They turned their pleasant land into a desert. Do you listen to God? And if you were before a jury, what evidence would be given to convict you of that? Just in the jury of your mind, what evidence convinces you of that? Do we listen to God? Let's pray.